Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. For the 69th episode of our podcast, I interviewed Caroline Klatt, CEO and co-founder at Headliner Labs. Besides eating, breathing, and sleeping, there is no activity that American adults do more than mobile messaging. That is a very staggering statistic, and it is no surprise that there is a company like Headliner Labs that is leveraging the power of Facebook Messenger to deliver a whole new type of experience through conversational marketing. Headliner Labs has built a plug-and-play platform that enables brands to connect directly with each individual consumer at scale through intelligent and automated Facebook chatbots. The company works with leading brands and retailers like Kenneth Cole, Saks Fifth Ave, Cole Haan, and many more. Caroline's career in retail actually started while she was in high school through a chance interaction with Steve Madden, I'm talking about the actual founder, while in a shopping mall that set the foundation for developing a deep level of expertise in retail and e-commerce through the years. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like all the details on Caroline's background, including her role as Director of Strategy and Operations at Fab.com, the aha moment that led her to start Headliner Labs and how the platform works, plus the incredible results it has on sales and revenue, what she wishes someone had told her before starting a company, tips on knowing when to take advice, how she evaluates talent, plus a lot more. Okay, quick side note, does your company need additional exposure in terms of hiring and employment branding initiatives? If your answer is yes, then you need to check out VentureFizz. Early stage startups to tech giants are leveraging our biz pages as an employment branding solution to stay in front of a highly targeted audience in the tech industry. If you're interested in learning more, please send an email to premium at VentureFizz.com. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Caroline. Caroline, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So I've talked to lots and lots of entrepreneurs in my travels. And what I thought was really interesting about you and your company is that the founding, the founders of the company are you and your sister, Dana. So siblings starting a company together. What's that like? I know, right? So people listening are probably thinking that was risky. Um, <laughs> I haven't talked to many founders that have done that. So I did find it interesting. It's great. If you have the right if, you're, if you have the right relationship with your sibling and you complement each other's strengths, it's, there's nothing better because you trust your partner 100%. There is no need for any sort of pretense, no sugarcoating. You know, we, we've known each other a long time. We just say what we're thinking, which is really great. Uh, Dana and I have very different skills. So my background is um, consulting and e-commerce. So very relevant to what we do, but... I love to meet with people. I love to sell. I love to talk to marketers. I can do this all day long. Um, Dana is a real product person. So her background is actually, she's super, super smart. She went to Harvard and Yale Law School. Uh, she worked, obviously, at a top law firm, but she also clerked on the Second Circuit, and she did research in drone warfare. So she's actually really familiar with bots and bot wow. technology and its broad use. And um, she's just exactly who you'd want to have on product, a really smart, critical thinker um, who can understand our marketers' challenges and also understand broad uses of the technology. Very cool. And I'm always interested in the foundational years. So uh, where did you guys grow up? We grew up on Long Island, or Strong Island, as I like to say. <laughs> and then uh, what about your, your, your parents? What did they do for work? Yeah, so we actually grew up, we're two of four siblings. So we have two more siblings who are younger. And then our parents, my dad worked in technology investment banking. So 
I guess that's where our, our interest comes from. Um, although he was probably on the less crazy side of founding a company. Um, so he worked in tech banking for years, traveled a lot. We were exposed to Silicon Valley and also Israel. He does a lot in the Israel tech scene um, from an early age. And our mother is a lawyer. And then you went to Penn. So what did you study there? At Penn, I studied communications. I was a communications major. And I also did a lot of work. So Warden has a retail center called and the Baker Retail Center. And I studied marketing at, at Warden, but also did a ton of work. I was the president of the Undergraduate Retail Society and the editor-in-chief of our fashion magazine. And I actually worked for a lot of the big companies that were associated with Baker. So throughout college, I worked at Ralph Lauren. I worked at Collective Brands, which owned Payless at the time and a couple of other shoe companies based in, in Boston, actually. Um, so I had just an incredible education in retail when I was at Penn. And then why did you decide to go into uh, strategy consulting at McKinsey coming out of undergrad? Yeah, it's a really good, it's a good question. <laughs> Actually, Matt Rubel, who I, I feel very lucky to consider a mentor, I remember I was discussing with him consulting firms and where to go. And he said, like, what are you doing in consulting? Shouldn't you go right into retail? And I just, I felt like I loved Collective. I loved Ralph Lauren. I didn't, I would have gone to any of these companies in a heartbeat. Um, but I thought I would get a really good basically a professional education going to McKinsey. So just a boot camp in all things, business, finance, operations, by being able to see that at a, you know, even at a really young age, get to, to have that kind of senior level exposure. Yeah. I mean, it is an amazing foundational experience coming out of school. There's no doubt. Yeah. But, but then you went to more of the, you know, venture backed high growth side. So how did you end up at fab and what was your role there? Yeah. Well, I went right back to retail or e-commerce. So, so I knew, I knew I loved it always. And I went back there pretty quickly. Um, I was recruited by the COO, who was Beth Ferreira, who is an incredible, incredible operator and also now a, a venture capitalist. But um, she, she had come from BCG. So I, I knew that working for her, I would continue to have an incredible education um, in operating. She, you know, she's at BCG, then she ran Etsy as you know, head of operations at Etsy, was the COO of Fab. So I knew I'd get just an incredible operation and a chance to work with somebody who could be a real mentor at a company that was, you know, basically racing through the startup playbook, right? I came to the company when we, they had already raised hundreds of millions of dollars. The team was growing really, really rapidly and it was e-commerce. So I got just a crash course in everything to do and potentially everything not to do in e-commerce. And that experience, I wouldn't trade for anything. Yeah, I mean, Feb, you know, they were the high flyer. Then all of a sudden things didn't quite work out the way that everyone planned. So what do you think you did learn from that experience? So I learned, I mean, first of all, e-commerce, like as we know it, or these high growth venture backed companies is a relatively new concept, pretty much all post 2008. And so um, I was there at pretty much the poster child, right? I, I got to see what it's like when you have this infusion of capital, how decision making is different from traditional retail, because I spent a good amount of time in traditional retail. Like if we, if we back up, I started working, so I met Steve Madden, the man, when I was what? in high school. I was shopping in a shopping mall. We met. We really hit it off. Um, I was I was commenting on all the Steve Madden shoes, and nobody else happened to be there. He happened to be there. He is an amazing, amazing um, retailer. But he he goes to stores throughout the entire time I worked with him. Every Wednesday, he does store visits so that he can actually hear 
how customers interact with and feel about his products, which is wow. just amazing. I mean, that any retailer so listening to this, that's what matters. It matters what your customer thinks when they're looking at your product. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he met me on a store visit uh, <laughs> and had said, come work for me. So I worked for him through high school in, in corporate and I worked there through college as well. And that was, I, I really got to know retail. So that was how I learned the business of retail from the corporate side. And being at a high growth startup was so different. Like when you just have tons of capital, the inventory management, the way the buying was done, the merchandising, it was just, you're racing so fast that you, you know, you know, you're going to make mistakes along the way, but you're okay doing it. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't work as well. Um, you know, in the case of them, I would say, but I did learn the biggest thing that I learned and obviously setting up customer service team, understanding the customer in today's digital age. So these were these are really new philosophy, new things that all retailers have to know. So, like today's customer is shopping online, and that's really different than going into a store. It's different from a marketing perspective, which is what Headliner works in, and that's how we got into Headliner. And it's different from an operations and a customer experience perspective because the level of support I need when I want that support, those are that there was no precedent for that, right? Like this concept of free shipping, there was no shipping before e-commerce. You would just go to a store and buy something. And so these rules are changing, but I, I got just an, a really broad foundational knowledge of just the business of e-commerce by being at Fab. Um, you know, from the beginning of the customer journey, which is acquiring them, all the way through customer support and hoping to get them to purchase again. And that, that was, you know, super, super transferable knowledge that is it really critical to what we do at Headliner? And that's a perfect segue. So, um, w- what led you to start your own company, and what is Headliner Labs? Yeah, well, great. So, <laughs> so at at Fab, like at every other company that I consulted for at McKinsey or that I worked with along the way, um, in e-commerce, when you acquire a customer and bring them to your site, you want them to do one of two things. The first thing that you want them to do is make a purchase. If, they, if you spent money to get them to come aside and they convert, you have done it. Amazing. So that's, that happens. That's true for about 2% of customers will come to your site and make a purchase. Those are great. Home run. The next customer is somebody who at least you acquire their email, right? So if, you, if I pay to get you to my site and you're not going to buy something, at the very least, I want a way to reach back out to you without ads. And on average, 3% of people sign up for email if there's an incentive like a discount and the person is ready to make a purchase, then that, that number jumps a bit, but it's actually very hard to get people to give you an email. Um, and so that's it, right? Those are your two options. Somebody purchases or somebody gives you an email. Otherwise you're just going to spend more money to bring them back to your site. Right. And so, and this is true of everyone selling anything online across e-commerce categories, like fashion, beauty, sports equipment to concert tickets, travel, right? This is, this is a universal um, status status quo, I guess we say, or the universal um, goals of a marketer. Mm-hmm. And so when Facebook Messenger opened up its API about two and a half years ago in, in April of 2016, there was a lot of hype, right? So chatbots became this buzzy word, and there were tons of companies experimenting in all sorts of ways, you know, design your own underwear, try on your own lipstick. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, like, those are cool. Those are great experiences. But what, how do we use this as a marketer, as like a real evergreen solution? Because here's what I know. I know that I have a real challenge getting people, right? If I don't get their email and they don't purchase something, 
like 95% of people, I can't reach you again. But my customer spends all their time on their mobile devices and on their mobile devices, they are largely messaging. So whether it's through WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger or SMS, people are messaging all day long. And so if Facebook Messenger is now this open playing field, can I use it to send marketing messages, right? Can I do what I was doing in email through Facebook Messenger? And, and, I, like, and I was watching one of your presentations that you, that you gave and you shared this really eye-opening statistic. I, I think it was besides eating, breathing, and sleeping, there's no single activity that American adults mo do more than mobile messaging. Yeah, that's like, crazy. That's crazy. So, I know. So, yeah, so marketers, I, like marketers need to know how to leverage this channel. It's, it's really insane. I mean, everybody knows you have your phone glued to your hand. And 98% of, of U.S. adults say the number one thing they do on their phone is mobile messaging. That is crazy. Um, that is just, I mean, I think that the official stat is you have five hours of unfocused phone time a day. Like, that's a huge amount of time. And I've heard that go as far as 11 hours, but you're doing other things at the same time. It, and what you're doing on that phone is, is your messaging. And so for marketers to be existing outside of these channels, that means that you are hoping that a customer like finds you and then does this totally separate action to get to you when in fact you could be natively conversing with them in the places they're spending time. Mm -hmm. Like what a huge opportunity that is if you can take advantage of it as a marketer. Um, so that's what I saw when I was, when I was at that, when um, I saw, you know, like we, that, that was the, the aha moment, I guess for us, which is, how do you take this Facebook, this, this new development, which is developers can, can use Facebook Messenger, and leverage that to solve this major problem that retailers have, which is they spend a lot of money on traffic, people leave their site, they spend a lot of money to get them back, right? How do we solve this problem? And so that's what we built with Headliner. We built a very, very plug-and-play platform that uses a lot of, of first-party data to trigger smart messages to customers based on their site behavior. So things like abandoned cart messaging to price drop notifications to back in stock alerts to you were looking at these, here's how some of our other customers are styling it, um, product recommendations. It's, it's, there's tons of functionality um, that, we, that we provide through Facebook as a channel. And it's a two-way channel. So you send a message and customers then can answer, right? So if I say like, hey, you left this in your cart, somebody might say like, actually, I wasn't sure what the right product was. And there, you can actually have a full automated conversation between the brand and the customer to move them down that funnel. So how does it work then? Like, so how, how, is, a, how is an e-commerce or a retailer going to use this and get me as a consumer to engage with them on, on this platform? Like, like do I yeah. have to opt in? Like, how does it work? Yeah, so you absolutely have to opt in. You go on a site, they get you to opt in either providing like a retailer may provide an incentive, right? So sign up to get messages on messenger for 10% off. That's one way to opt customers in, or they actually have messenger live on their site. So we have what we call virtual shopping agents that are on the site that just say, you know, Hey, how can we help you with X, Y, Z? And so I'll give you an example of a beauty brand. Uh, we work with a lot of beauty companies. A great example is wander beauty. If you go to their site, they have a chatbot powered by Headliner that just says, hey, like need help finding the perfect essentials, take our quiz and we'll recommend the right products for you. And the, the idea is that if you walked into a store 
and somebody who knew the Wander Beauty lines can look at you and say, you know, hey, <laughs> hey, Keith, <laughs> you're the perfect makeup. Um, I'm looking at your skin. Here's exactly what you need to make those eyes pop. Um, they would sell you products because you have the authoritative, the authoritative salesperson telling you, I know the line and here's what's going to work for you. And that's lost online. That magic is really missing. And it's true across categories. So on Wander, they have this chatbot. You answer a few questions about your skin, and then it will serve up products that actually make sense for you. The conversion rates are just out of this world. I think it's about 17% of people who convert who converse with their chatbot go on to make a purchase, which wow. is insane. It's versus their normal customer, you know, the, any normal website traffic, which is somewhere between two and three percent go on to make a purchase. So it's it's enormous um, what the impact of having a good chat experience is. But that's one way to get you in. So that's the on-site chat component. Or brands can just opt, say, you know, sign up to get our alerts via messenger. It's a one-click opt-in. There is the big challenge with getting people to opt into anything is just user friction. We are lazy, right? And so we created an opt-in that's one button. Like, you know, sign up to get messages on Messenger, message me. And when you click that, we can now send you messages through Facebook Messenger. We become contacts on Messenger. Um, and so I can continue to send you updates, right? If you were looking at men's shoes, I can show you other SKUs that are similar that you might like. If you buy a hat, I can show you the matching scarf and gloves. And we can use Messenger as a channel to send you these direct messages, you know, hey, we saw you bought that, that hat. Have you seen the matching scarf and gloves? And all within a chat, we can facilitate the purchase. So open up your the browser, bring you to a shopping cart, let you pay and transact completely without having to leave your conversation flow. Now, are you at a point with this technology that you're like an evangelist that you have to really educate um, brands and, and e-commerce companies on the power of this? Because it is, it's not a new form of, of uh, communication, like you said, Adults spend a lot of time using it, yet in this, for this particular use case, it's, it's like I'm not getting a lot of retailers pinging me on Messenger yet. I know. You have to send them to me. Um, <laughs> the challenge is that, that companies don't really know about this. So right. Messenger doesn't, didn't build this functionality. They just opened up their API, right? And so they, they build the capabilities for us to do this, and the Messenger team is wonderful, wonderful. But... It's not like Messenger rolled out a product and said, you know, hey, here's our ESP, you know, here's our customer management profile. It's just developers like us had the opportunity to build out this cool, innovative technology on top of it. And so we have to educate the whole market. It is so valuable. We've, we have, for 100% of our customers, you will see sales and results. Um, and we open, it, we open up Messenger to be one of your top three performing revenue channels. So it becomes incredibly powerful very quickly obviously the complexity of what you built from a technology point of view is uh, it's a whole you know it's a whole platform so um, how did you go about actually building the, the technology is there was there a third co-founder like a technical co-founder on the team yeah absolutely so we have a CTO um, you really uh, I wouldn't I, I can't say you shouldn't but I think very few people should start a tech business without a technical co-founder that's obviously that's that's a big piece of it um, how did you meet that person? Yeah. Um, so, so we built an, I mean, our, our tech team is amazing. I take zero credit for this. We have wonderful engineers who built a super solid product, turned things around really quickly, um, and, and are so passionate about driving success for our companies. You know, we're online and doing this 24-7 because 
we really, we understand that our product touches our customers' customers. So we're not a back-end tool, you know, like we're not some analytics tool that runs the background where we would care about that too, but you care in a different way, you know. We, for, for us, our customer, so Kohan is our customer, our messaging and our technology touches every one of their customers or many of their customers. And so it's so important to get it right, to make sure it's a rock-solid foundation and that our our actual technology is performing well, is doing its job better than, than they had ever expected or ever hoped for, and is constantly improving. And so the tech team is, is essential to this. We found our team through founder dating, like everybody else, right? You, you talk to people you know, who you trust, who have recommendations, who know people. Um, who So we, we were connected to our CTO that way. And then because we can't do, I couldn't do any sort of technical vetting, I had somebody else who I know from, from a previous role do a technical interview and do some technical vetting. So um, once you do have a customer sign up and say, yes, this is an extraordinary opportunity. It's a new yeah. channel. We're excited. Uh, what's the onboarding process look like typically? Uh, I would imagine, you know, with a company like a Cole Han, you know, there's so many different shoes that they have. They want to make sure that their messaging is reflective of their brand. So what's that like? Yeah. So the, the tech like I said, I take zero credit. The platform is amazing. You as a marketer can get set up and navigate this product without ever talking to anyone on our team if you choose to. Um, that said, we do work with just incredibly amazing and established and well-known retailers and want to make sure that they're putting their best foot, their best foot forward always. On our team, we have, an, we have an incredible account team that will help our customers get set up test their messaging, iterate on their messaging, make sure that they know how to use the platform inside out, but also be a thought partner for them on how, how to message things, how to use the different templates that we provide, because we have a ton of knowledge. We collect data across, obviously, our entire portfolio. And so we come in with that expertise. Got it. Okay. Now, what's the uh, size and scale? I mean, like the number of employees your company has or customers or you know, whatever you think is the best way to phrase it? Yeah, so what I'm really proud of is the number of end customers that we reach. Um, so every month we're reaching, I mean, this is growing month over month, but we're reaching, you know, around 8 million unique end customers, which is a lot wow. of customers. That's amazing. Uh, that we touch at the end. Yeah, it's, it's all of our brands, all the people that they're messaging, basically. So do you think that, like, uh, outside of e-commerce retail, that, you know, this is a technology that is going to become more mainstream, that pretty much every industry will have some type of strategy around this? Form 100%. Of, uh, a hundred percent. I mean, like, like I hate to beat a dead horse, but when you think about it, you've got right now basically two channels of reaching somebody. One is ads, one is email. And so there is, as more channels open up, brands, companies have to be smart about playing in those channels or you're just missing, missing leads, missing customers, missing opportunity. We started in retail because, or e-commerce, um, of fashion, beauty, lifestyle, because that's, a, that's our background. That's where we came from. There's a really clear use case and we know better than anyone else how to, how to really optimize around it. But there are so many industries I wish we had time to tackle. I mean, travel, phenomenal, phenomenal use case. <laughs> then um, we do some work in the insurance space. Interestingly, there is just, if you are a company trying to reach an end audience, you have to be doing it in the right channels and the right channels are mobile messaging. Well, you, 
like I'm just thinking like, you know, you look at channels have they've as they've grown and matured over time, like email, right? That's been around since the nineties and it's a channel that still is highly relevant. You can control the message to that customer and still interface them as long as they, you know, are still opting into your uh, email subscription. And then, you know, ads on, you know, Facebook when that, that first came about and it was a very low rate to advertise. And I remember just listening to Gary Vaynerchuk and he was just all in on Facebook and he spent, you know, tons of money on wine.com and, you know, made a great return. But then that grew and now it's super expensive to advertise there or any social platform. So this seems like this is that early adopter phase that the people that are implementing this strategy will hopefully reap the benefits of being that early adopter. Yeah, I mean, our brands are definitely reaping those benefits now. There's no question about that. The obviously, as as we continue to educate the market and this the space continues to grow, this will get this too will get more crowded. And and um, the way that brands use it, I think, will change and evolve over time. At this early stage, anybody, any brand, any retailer, any company that's made that's taking advantage of Messenger is just ahead of the curve, and they are reaping all those benefits. That's, that's not to say everybody shouldn't have it or in a few years you won't because email, like you said, is super saturated right now. But if you don't have an email, you're dead, right? And so, sure, as we continue to prove out the channel and more companies use it, it will get more crowded, but it's going to get crowded because it's effective and because it's really going to become table stakes. Yeah. Now, what about, you know, starting your own company? What, what do you wish someone had told you before taking that leap of faith of starting your own company? People tell you everything. There is no piece of advice. No shortage of advice, yes. <laughs> uh, the only thing I wish someone told me was not to take so much advice. You know, you, we can talk to one brilliant, amazing investor one day who says, do it this way, and you can speak to their partner the next day who tells you to do it the total opposite way. People will tell you everything about how to hire, how to fire, where to work, how to market. And a lot of this advice is good advice, but it's you really have to filter for what makes sense to you, what makes sense for your business. You, you know, assuming you're starting a business is for a reason. It's for some, something that you know or believe in or a problem you're trying to solve. And so at the end of the day, your gut and your instinct has to be what leads you. So is that, is, I was going to ask you, how do you filter, you know, the, the useful versus the doesn't really apply to my business stuff? Not well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how do I filter it? I, I mean, it's, I think, Good advice or, or the best sort of advice comes from people who at least know the space or have done something, you know, in a similar way. Mm -hmm. So that knowledge is, is super informed. Um, that's always really, really helpful. Um, and that's not always the person you would think, right? That's not always the top tier investor, but it's sometimes a digital marketer in our space who just eats, breathes, and sleeps digital marketing for e-commerce and can give me really, really targeted advice that makes a lot more sense than, you know, following some sort of startup playbook. Yeah. So, um, understanding the source, understanding how it applies to my customers, everything that we work toward, like you ha we have goals, we have KPIs that we're working towards. And so anything we do has to be, we have to believe it's going to move us towards those goals faster. What about getting publicity and PR for your company? Um, you know, what I noticed in, you know, just researching your background is that, you know, you've done a lot of keynote speaking at major events, like major conferences. Uh, you're recognized by Forbes as, you know, 30 under 30. So what advice would you give to entrepreneurs that are like trying to get, you know, publicity and PR for their company? Yeah. So do you know that stat? Like I think more people would probably be like, like public speaking is, is like the number one fear among 
adults globally. Mm-hmm. And I think Jerry Seinfeld has a joke that that basically means at a funeral, more people would rather be in the casket than making the eulogy. <laughs> <laughs> so I love public speaking. I love it. I always have. I was actually, um, I was at Penn. I was a public speaking advisor. So I was like paid by the university to work with other students on public speaking. I just love it. And so for me, that's just a no brainer. It's something I enjoy doing. I love to communicate. I love talking about this. It's obviously something I'm pretty passionate about. Mm-hmm. And I, I love sharing that with people who, with audiences, often audiences who come to me after and give me great input and advice and insights on how they'd use this technology. So I learn a lot from it, but that for us has been really, really fantastic um, as a source of, of publicity and growing, growing the brand is you know, be, being on the, being part of conferences, being at events, being live and in person and engaging with the community of users. I mean, I, I talked about Steve Madden earlier and said that he went to stores and spoke to his customers. That's kind of how I feel about conferences. When I'm actually standing in a room of retail marketers or just marketers, just digital marketers generally, that's my audience. And so if I can speak to them, but you know, both speak to them, but hear from them and, and have that dialogue, that's a great way to get our name out there. And it's also a great way to learn. And as you're building your team and, 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 you know, scaling, growing and hiring, how, how do you evaluate talent uh, to bring into your company, especially, you know, at this stage where, you know, each company kind of has its own stage of development, but uh, you know, at this stage of your company, how do you evaluate talent? Yeah. So we are for anybody listening, who's looking to grow, to join a high growth, super exciting startup. We are um, definitely actively hiring right now. And, for me, and this could be totally wrong, so everyone should take this advice. Like I say, take all advice, filter it out. But for me, um, I, don't, I don't even care so much about the person's direct experience. I care about somebody's um, real excitement about the space. So if you're joining my team, I will expect you 24-7 to be online and thinking about this. Not to say we live a crazy lifestyle, but just to say, you have to really care about this. You have to yeah. be really interested in it. You have to be fascinated by digital marketing. You have to be excited about the results that you're driving for customers. If you're not, that's totally fine. This is nerdy and boring to most people. But I, want, I need that enthusiasm because that's when we have people come in with good ideas, with new ways to move the product forward. We're not large enough where I need you to swim in your own lane, keep your head down, and churn. I need people who join this team to be thought partners and to be contributing to the overall vision. And so while that certainly means that you have to, you have to, you know, swim your lane and get everything that you need done, it also means you have to be thinking about this product and be actively excited in, in the way we grow the company. And that enthusiasm and just general interest in what you're doing goes so far. And uh, yeah, like you said, like you're going to be spending so much time thinking about your business that you need to be all in. And if you're not, then it's just a waste of everyone's time. Yeah, I guess it's also my advice to people thinking about joining a startup. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody, startups, or at least, you know, any sort of startup, but even when I joined Fab and I think I was employee number 400 something, you have to really, really, really like what this company does because there is definitely, um, there's a real culture at startups. There's a lot of, of input, you know, even at, even at Fab where we were really large, when we were launching new sites or making updates, there was a Google Doc circulated to the whole company where you could give your input two weeks before launch, which is pretty amazing. I mean, that, that speaks well of the culture of Fab, but also about startups generally, which is, this is like a, everybody's running so fast and you need that whole team to be running and at the same speed. And if you don't want to be running, 
on this idea or this topic or this industry, don't join a startup because that's going to be the role. Now, how did you learn how to lead? I think, I think, um, obviously I, I started, I started at McKinsey, which is a great place to learn about leading teams, being part of teams, managing people. But I, I did that all through college. Um, so I was the president of, of two very large student organizations with over 500 dues paying members. And so, uh, I actually think that those are pretty unparalleled experiences. Those are much larger organizations than I've ever run outside of the university setting. But then all of my professional experiences, if you can get management experience, you definitely should. What's your go-to professional hack? I mean, I'm sure your day is uh, all different depending on the day and what's going on. So I'm sure you have lots of different things to uh, tackle. So what's your favorite productivity hack? Same lunch every day. Same lunch every day. Same lunch every day. I know it's boring. Sorry, foodies. I'm boring as can be. What what is it? Salad. (laughs) I actually love a vegan Caesar salad. So no dressing uh, and vegan, vegan cheese. Um, I shouldn't laugh because I pretty much eat the same lunch every day. It's just, I have a sandwich every single day. My wife's like, can you please switch it up? Like do something like, like eat a salad or something. I'm like, I'm just staying in my lane. I know what I like. And I just, it's going to be good. It's going to fill you up. You know what it's going to come. <laughs> I can't, I can't think beyond that. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time for sharing all this, um, you know, great advice and educating our audience on, um, you know, this new exciting area of technology that I'm sure we'll be seeing uh, a lot more of. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was, I really, really enjoyed talking to you. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.